the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast, your weekly view on the stories shaping shipping. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. This week we're back in our regular weekly edition after a number of sub-episodes out of Posidonia and we're recording this live from inside the International Chamber of Shipping in London. Delighted to say that we've been joined by the Secretary General of the International Chamber of Shipping, Peter Hinchliffe, and I also have our very own Europe editor, Helen Kelly. Thanks for joining us, guys. Morning. Good morning. Now, we're recording this on Friday the 15th of June, and as we sit here, the fate of 629 migrants aboard the Gibraltar flag NGO vessel Aquarius is yet to be decided. They're steaming towards Spain at the moment, having been refused entry by both Malta and Italy. Fair to say that shipping has been caught up in... Uh, something of a political storm this week. Helen, you've been covering this story for Lloyd's List. Give us the background in terms of what's happened here. Yeah, absolutely. So earlier this week, uh, as you said, 629 people were rescued off the uh, shore of Libya. Our understanding is that they were rescued from two separate vessels at that time. One was an Italian uh, merchant vessel, the other was an Italian um, naval vessel. They were then uh, put onto the Aquarius, which is an NGO-operated vessel, um, and were heading towards Sicily, at which point the Italian government decided not to allow disembarkation, and we got into this political situation between the Italian and the Malta governments. Okay. So, Peter, I mean, this is you know, not, not an unusual situation for shipping to be in. We've been caught in the middle of a migrant crisis in Europe for several years now, but this is probably the first time we've seen an NGO ship deliberately test the political waters, so to speak, with a, with a disembarkation issue like this. I mean, how is this different from other issues, do you think? Right from the very outset of this escalation in the number of people trying to make their way across the Mediterranean to get into Europe, we've always been extremely concerned that a merchant ship would recover some people from the water, several hundred people, and then find that they were unable to disembark them into a European country. And you might remember the Tampa incident off Australia, where the Tampa had about 400 people on board for about six weeks. And that that was a nightmare scenario that we have been desperately trying to avoid in this um, over these last few years in the Mediterranean. The Italian government, until this week, has been fantastic. To my knowledge, they have not ever refused entry and disembarkation to any merchant ship. So I don't think um, the Aquarius was actually deliberately testing the political waters. I think that the Aquarius did what it has always done alongside all of the other um, uh, very good work that's been done by other NGOs. They went on the instruction of the Italian Rescue and Coordination Centre in Rome to Sicily to disembark, which is a pretty routine uh, issue for these ships that are engaged in it all the time, and suddenly found, to their dismay, that they were not able to do that. Mm. So, so that, is, um, that has caused us um, doubt, because the Italian government has not made it clear whether or not the same ban, which they, are, they appear to be applying to non-Italian flag NGO ships, um, would apply to a merchant ship in the same circumstances. And we, we were really testing the water ourselves with the press release we did earlier this week to see if we could get a response from the Italian government, um, but we've had no such response. So mm-hmm. we have no idea whether this situation would uh, apply to a merchant ship or not. Because, I mean, th- this, is, this is a political issue beyond the realms of shipping. Shipping has a moral and, and legal duty to rescue people from sea, and that is what it has been doing. And to be fair to the Italian Coast Guard, they have been bearing the brunt of a huge migrant problem off its coast for, for several years. Now, 
shipping's position in that really has not changed throughout this. But if shipping is going to be subject to um, you know, the political upheaval within Europe, that is a problem because um, shipping you know, likes to work within these rules. It likes to know that it's going to have the disembarkation once it's picked people up. If it's going to get caught in the political storm every time it rescues someone, that is a real problem for shipping. Absolutely it is. And I think listeners should be assured that our, we are absolutely committed to the legal and moral obligation for merchant ships to, to recover anybody in distress at sea. This is a very different situation. It is not an exaggeration to call it a humanitarian crisis. But nevertheless, that moral and legal obligation is something that we will uphold. But the assurance that um, a ship having uh, picked up several hundred people can land them somewhere is an absolute prerequisite. Mm. And so therefore, um, we, we encourage ships to continue to do to pick up people either as requested by the rescue and coordination centres or because they happen across people in distress, they mm. must carry out the rescue. But if there is a political issue, then we will pick up that. Uh, battle and try to find some solution. Hmm. But we would also uh, look to the flag state of the ship to engage in some diplomacy to make sure that we can solve the problem. Well, presumably there have been political discussions happening in the background. I mean, this is Gibraltar flagship, I understand. Um, presumably they are seeking advice both from you and from the uh, IMO, I'm guessing. I mean, do you think this is an IMO issue as much as an industry issue? Do we well, need to well first of all, Aquarius is not, doesn't fall under the ICS membership, so we don't have right. any direct contact with, um, with the NGOs in this sense, mm. in that legal sense. We have had a lot of uh, contact with the NGOs over the years because we're extremely grateful for the work that they're doing, which is taking a huge burden off merchant ships. Mm. Merchant ships are still involved, but, um, but this burden uh, that the NGOs are taking is really welcome. So um, I have no idea if uh, Gibraltar as the flag state has been involved in diplomacy. I hope that they have, and I hope that um, the NGO operator of the Aquarius has used that route, because I think it's a sensible route to go down. Yeah, we were talking earlier about the uh, tricky situation, uh, legal situation that some of these member states find themselves in because actually the law itself isn't 100% clear about where the responsibility lies on who should in fact take uh, migrants when they are recovered by sea. What's your understanding of the law? Well, this is really like the place of safety issue that always arises when a merchant ship has a problem. You know, the cargo is shifted, they need some shelter water to, to go and sort it out or some mm. other. Um, problem with the structure of the ship. We always have this problem that there is no mandated requirement for a coastal state to provide that, sh that area of shelter, that so-called place of safety. Mm. The same applies here. The, um, there is no definitive legal statement in any instrument that I'm aware of that says that a coastal state must provide a place of disembarkation. Coastal states are encouraged, uh, a port state, sorry, are encouraged to provide that um, place, that place of safety, and that point of disembarkation, but um, all it says, for example, in the uh, in the Solas Convention and the Search and Rescue Convention, is that governments have an obligation to coordinate and cooperate to ensure that masters of ships providing assistance in these circumstances are released from their ob obligations with minimum further deviation from the ship's intended voyage. So that's a bit of a cop-out mm. because there is no, you know, we can't say, well, to a country, you have a legal obligation to take these people. They have a legal obligation to coordinate and cooperate with other countries. 
So I, I think what is missing from this process is a is a proper joined up piece of um, strategy within Europe where Europe sorts out who has the obligation. There needs to be burden sharing in um, within Europe. I think Italy has done a fantastic job um, up until now, and you know we should never forget that, and we have to recognise the massive burden that these that tens of thousands of people have um, placed on, on the Italian government and the Italian people. We should recognise that. And I think that Italy just got to the point now where, where the last straw has broken the camel's back. Mm -hmm. I understand there is a meeting of European heads of state on the 28th and 29th of June, so in, in just a week or so. I really hope that this issue is very high on the agenda. And Europe has got to be determined to come up with a strategy not only to save um, people from this terrible um, loss of life at sea, which is absolutely what our focus is on, let's stop the deaths at sea, but Europe needs to look beyond that. They need to look at a much better strategy for dealing with the source countries and making sure that any aid that Europe can provide is used in the best possible way to stabilise those economies. I don't think they can do anything about the the states which are in um, a state of war, but I think where it's an economic issue, then Europe has a moral obligation at least to, to help to sort this problem at the source. But ultimately, this is a political problem, a big political problem, that shipping really is going to be left as a sort of a last reactive thought in terms of any political discussions. Do you think there is any way that shipping can get inside the discussion at a political level um, to ensure that you know this is uh, you know part of the discussion. You know, is the IMO does the IMO need to do more here to engage at a political level uh, with the country, the me their own member states? Bearing in mind um, that this has been going on for some time, and that our our absolute focus in ICS is to prevent loss of life at sea. So um, we wrote to the UN Secretary General a couple of years ago and made a proposal to declare the Central Mediterranean the humanitarian rescue zone. And we also further proposed that instead of allowing, creating a situation where people felt that they had to pay um, a smuggler to put them into an unseaworthy boat and attempt to spend several days crossing the Mediterranean, there should be um, stations ashore on the North African coast in, in suitable countries, which could be advertised, where the decisions about who could go to which country or should they be returned to their homeland could be made without going into the, uh, into the rubber boat. And um, those people who were legitimate refugees could then be transported in, in safe ships to, to the appropriate country in Europe. So, so we wrote to the UN Secretary General, we got um, a fairly non-committal uh, response from Ban Ki-moon um, during his period of tenure and um, when Mr Guterres took over with, and I, was, uh, I had, um, had some talk with him when he was the head of UNHCR, so I thought now he's taken that background knowledge to the UN, maybe this is a, a good opening for us. So we wrote again to Mr Guterres but unfortunately we never got a response. So, to answer your question, this is an issue for the UN, it's not an issue for the IMO. The IMO has a, um, uh, a tangential interest, of course, because it is, it is affecting shipping, it is affecting world trade, and if we end up being unable to land rescue people, it will have um, a serious impact on world trade and on ships passing through the Mediterranean. So the IMO, of course, has a role there. 
But I think ultimately it is for the UN and the relevant migrants at UN agencies to actually come up with a UN policy on this. But, but I come back to what I said before, which is that really this is a European issue and it needs joined up governments in Europe to provide a policy and a, and a long-term strategy because this is not something that's going to go away in a couple of weeks or a couple of years. We're going to be dealing with this for decades. So, so let's have politicians for once look outside their five-year term of office and come up with some everlasting process that will actually prevent this loss of life. There's a radical suggestion to end on. Peter, thank you very much for your time. Helen, thanks a lot. And we look forward to uh, hearing what the outcome of this weekend's disembarkation brings. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you're still accessing this via loislist.com, remember we're now available to download via iTunes and most other podcast outlets. Just search for Loislist and subscribe. And while you're at it, make sure you're registered on loislist.com for a free account. That's going to give you access to our daily briefing newsletter and some free content. Final plug for this week, um, award season is approaching and uh, we need all listeners to the Loislist podcast to get your entries in. Uh, for those of you in Asia or operating in Asia, the closing deadline for our Asia Pacific Awards is closing soon. Uh, the awards will be held in Singapore at the Shangri-La Hotel on September the 27th. They're going to celebrate the best, most innovative and most successful companies in our industry. So if you can prove that your company deserves the recognition that these awards can bring, then please take a few minutes to visit loislist.com awards and get an entry in today. While you're there, take a look at our other forthcoming awards in the Middle East, in Dubai on the 27th of November, in Greece on the 7th of December, and the big event of the year are Global Awards in London at the Hilton on Park Lane on the 11th of December. Good luck and uh, have a good week, everybody. Thanks.